All right, everyone. Welcome to the Science of Golf performance. Uh, my name is Bobby. Hi, I'm Alex. I'm Tyler. And uh, today we're going to be talking about uh, the best way to design a junior golf fitness program. Um, so we've worked with, what, a couple hundred juniors at this point over the past couple years. Um, we have an entire wall full of college flags all over the country um, with some of our middle and high school athletes going on to college. We even have one of them that's playing her first year of professional golf right now, which is pretty cool to see. So, yeah, so we're going to kind of talk you through um, some common questions that we get when we talk with parents of junior golfers and talk you through what our experience is for developing the best program possible for these athletes. Um, so I would say one of the most common questions that we get is when should an athlete start a golf-specific fitness program? Right. Well, I think the first thing to look at is, well, first of all, their age. How old are they? And what are they doing at that time aside from golf? I know you have a lot of kids that go into the sport and right off the bat, you have those kids that are like, I want to play golf. I want to excel at golf. This is what I want to do. It's the only thing I want to do. But then you have those other athletes, those kids that are going to want to, you know, just make it a part of their season. And, you know, they're playing basketball in the winter and they're playing, uh, they're doing track or tennis and the other parts. So I think we have to look at that first. Yeah. Yeah. And not to say that there's one that's wrong, not to say that to, to go just the golf only route is wrong or to branch out and be a multi-sport athlete is wrong either. Neither one is wrong. It's just, if you make that decision as to which route you want to go, that has to inform us as coaches and professionals as to what route to take you along in your development. And that's something that I guess like Bobby mentioned, talking with parents, that's something that needs to be addressed first is, and I guess, what is the individual's long-term goal? And then we kind of go from there. Yeah, absolutely. So I think we tend to more say if your kid is only playing golf, right, and they're doing golf year-round, then it's better to get them earlier, right, mm -hmm. into that training program. Whereas if they're playing a bunch of sports, we don't want them coming in exhausted because right. the quality of training is not going to be very high. Yeah. Um, but then, too, a lot of the exercises, right, you do a lot of jumping, right, we do a lot of landing, things like that. It's just building basic athleticism, mm -hmm. right, that they're going to get from other sports, too. Yeah, I think at, at first, during a junior's development, you're thinking about just basic athleticism. You're thinking about jump mechanics. You're thinking about a squat patterning. Mm -hmm. um, you're thinking about upper body pushing and pulling. But then... Also, when you're talking about goal specific versus the total athlete, you're also thinking about, okay, like, is this child who's coming into me, did they just get done with two hours of basketball practice and now I'm <laughs> going to put them through an hour workout? Like, this isn't making sense. And that's where, like Bob has mentioned, that's where you kind of have to draw the line is in, okay, are we burning both ends of the candle and are we at the point of diminishing returns with this? And then at the other side, <clears throat> excuse me, of the spectrum, if you just have that kid who's doing golf year-round, Hey, that's the opposite of what we want them to do. We want to get them in here, and we want to be the ones to teach them those developmental patterns, mm -hmm. uh, make sure that their their landing mechanics are on point, and that they're doing other things aside from just swinging the golf club right. uh, 365 days a year. Yeah, absolutely. So if we get those athletes in, right, they're appropriate for a training program, we take them through. Um, I know we just kind of ran and finished up test week uh, with our juniors, Tyler. Mm -hmm. So what kind of results could someone expect to see? And then let's also talk about some of the pretty outstanding results we've seen um, and maybe even some barriers to getting those results. Yeah, so typical on average, we actually just finished up our test week and it was in the off season for both the boys and the girls. On average, you can look to expect three miles per hour. 
as far as club head speed goes with a 12-week training program. That's what we found for average. Now, there are outliers. We just had one individual come in last night, and he put on nine miles an hour to his club head speed in 12 weeks. He also grew one and a half inches in 12 <laughs> weeks. Yeah. So um, there, there are the ups and downs throughout that training. However, we do look to see three miles an hour from the golf-specific um, standpoint with the power development. Um, and that's ages from nine all the way to 18 yeah. with our junior program. Absolutely. So with that, though, what have been some barriers that we've seen when we retest our athletes that they might not, either they get, you know, maybe one to two miles an hour, they're not necessarily in that three plus range, right? I think for me, when I work with the juniors, what I see more than anything is that hypermobilism. So mm -hmm. the, most of the time, especially the females are coming in and, you know, they can do a, a full on split or like <laughs> all the time. We're just looking to get those girls stronger uh, and the boys too in some cases. Mm -hmm. But um, I think the biggest thing that I see is that the the, mobile, the mobility kind of overtakes the strength in most, most cases and that's where we can kind of see uh, the club head speed suffer as yeah. far as climbing. Well, and especially with some of those athletes, if we do a retesting, right, and we see that their hip is not, you know, 70 degrees of rotation anymore, that's not what their normal is and that's how they can get a little bit hurt. Um, so I mean, that's the entire part of the training program is to make sure that that doesn't happen, yeah. right? So um, any other uh, scenarios where you've seen that those juniors aren't making that three plus miles an hour with a with a good solid training program? Yeah, I mean we just as I mentioned we just we just had one person come in last yesterday evening and they gained nine miles an hour on their club at speed, but the week before we had another person come in and their club at speed actually went down two miles an hour. Well, the second athlete who came in got fitted for brand new clubs two weeks before testing. And that's where an equipment issue is usually more than likely the reason why there might be a lack or a reason why you might lose miles per hour. Because like I mentioned, there, there's one junior athlete that we had, he grew one and a half inches in less than three months. Yeah. Like, so he was when it comes to that big, to get the that, that much development, that much growth, in less than a three month period, yeah. their equipment is going to change as well as their swing on top of, we did have one other athlete, she changed her swing coach and her club at speed suffered there as well. It's kind of just putting all the keys together or all the pieces to the puzzle mm -hmm. and figuring out what is the missing or what's, what's the piece that's not fitting correctly. Yeah, you see those kids that go through swing coaches like, you know, like no other. And that, I mean, their swing is going to change with each coach. And you said as they grow, their swing is going to have to change because right. of leverages and everything else. But, uh, but yeah, that's another thing that causes, you know, changes in the, the test results that we see. Mm -hmm. So another question that we really frequently get is asking about speed training, right? So we have a lot of parents come to us. You can see a lot of examples on social media, right, of, you know, these really young athletes getting the overspeed training given to them. And, you know, you see incredible results with that. These kids are swinging, you know, well above their percentile rankings um, for their age group with that speed training. So obviously it's doing something, but kind of talk to, you know, to all the parents that are out there watching this or maybe golfers themselves, right, that have looked into that speed training. What is some things that we look for to, you know, more safely and more effectively put those overspeed tools in our golfers' hands? So I think the first thing that we look at, and this is just a general rule, this is just a general principle that we kind of almost run with just about everybody who comes and trains with us is yeah. first we look at their mobility. How well are they able to move? That has to be the first 
check mark that you put down before you put a speed stick in anybody's hands. That's junior golfers included. If you're immobile or your mobility is not well enough to for you to be able to train well, then you're obviously not gonna be able to swing well, and you're not gonna be able to play well, therefore you're not gonna be able to swing an overspeed stick really well at L or at else. And that's gonna be at risk of injury. And at that point then it's it's kind of it's not a really great idea if somebody's immobile putting a speed stick in, in their hands. And yeah. Especially for a junior golfer with such a big window of opportunity, mm-hmm. you can definitely screw up a lot if you're putting a speed stick in a, a junior's hands who's immobile and doesn't pass the mobility requirement. So when you have parents who come to you and are saying, Tyler, my kid needs to get faster. Like, that she need, can you get her swinging the speed sticks more? Like, she needs to work speed training. And I don't really know what they think is speed training when they're asking us that. Oh, there's all sorts but, of things, right? <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> because we know on our road too, there's a lot of different types of speed training, right. not right. just swinging the speed stick. But when they come to you and they're like, speed training, speed training, mm-hmm. what what is your answer to those parents that come to you with that? Yeah. So, yeah, I kind of go back to what we just talked about. First, you talk about mobility. Okay, if they pass the mobility, then that's great. Then we move on to, I guess, stage two, and that would be their strength. We assess and see where their strength is. Um, there's no foundation to build power and to build speed if a person or an athlete, including junior athletes, don't have that strength base or that yeah. strength development. And that's where, for me personally, I like to give an athlete at least a 12-week period in which they can be they can be gone through or taken through an entire periodized strength program before we put a speed stick in their hands within our facility or within our training program. So that way, I myself as a coach or as the professional knows for sure that that athlete has trained underneath underneath of my site and underneath of my program, and they have the appropriate amount of strength um, to be able to progress onto that power development or that speed development. Yeah. Um, once they do that then, that's the point then when we look at their power numbers and we look at their general power producing capabilities and where their current club head speed is at, and we look to see will implementing overspeed training be of significant increase into this athlete's swing speed or will it not? Will it do them more harm than good? And then that's kind of the last decision that we make there is looking at the power numbers. I think it's safe to say, too, that a lot of the juniors that we see don't utilize the speed training because mm-hmm. most of them are lacking that base of strength, right. and most of them yeah. are swinging faster than they can actually right. lift. How many do we have come in, you know, they're swinging relative to their age up in the upper echelons of our, our database, and yet we give them a you know 15-pound kettlebell, and they almost crumple to the floor. It's like, I don't yeah. want them swinging any faster if you can't control your body very well. So... I guess I'd say the short answer to yeah. or the short answer to this question is one, they have to be mobile enough, and two, they have to have the appropriate amount of strength before they actually start true specific golf speed training. Yeah, cool. Um, and I guess uh, the last thing that we see, um, you know, questions about is, okay, I've got this very motivated junior golfer, right? You know, they're maybe even middle school athlete, they might be a high school athlete, and their goal is to play in college, and their goal is to play, you know, professional, right? how can we take them even just briefly through, all right, this is kind of our development model. This is how we, you know, say you're on the right path. Um, Because I think that's one of the benefits of the database that we have is I can say, you know, okay, here's what your club head speed is right now. You're 11. By the time you're 14, this is what our target needs to be if you want to keep that competitive advantage. Mm -hmm. So even just briefly kind of talk about what we look at holistically for that type of an athlete. I think there we kind of loop back around the first topic that we talked about is, okay, now we know that this athlete is going to be a golf-specific training Mm -hmm. athlete. So 
We look to get them in here sooner rather than later. And the first thing that we really work with our junior golfers, anywhere really from the age of nine to about 13 years old, is we're just teaching basic movement patterns. And the best way that we've found to do that is through fundamentals. And that's um, playing different, whether it be playing different games, working on different banded exercises or different body weight exercises. That's just teaching that athlete how to squat, how to hinge, uh, very general, very basic upper body pressing and pulling movements, as well as um, very general, very basic speed and change of direction mechanics as well. And then I think from there, that's when you develop that movement base um, foundation. That's when you move on to try and to strengthen that movement base. So they know how to squat really well. They know how to hinge really well. Mm -hmm. Let's see if we can apply just a, a little bit of overload. And that's where you use your dumbbells, your kettlebells, use those type of resources. And this is still at about the pre-high school age, right around about right. 12, 13 years old. Um, once they reach that gap in which they're starting to hit puberty and starting to grow a little bit, mm -hmm. right, about freshman in high school, that's when they start training a little bit more aggressively with some of our yeah. um, some of our equipment. That's when we introduce them to a barbell. And then that's when we increase the overload a little bit more because we know chronologically they're able to um, tolerate that overload. And we look to try and strengthen those movement patterns just a little bit more in that next step of progression with the barbell. And then that's when they reach about that junior to senior year of high school. That's when yeah. I guess we go back to question number two is now do we start implementing speed training? So we know they can move well. We develop their foundation or their movement patterns. Yep. We'd strengthen them all that time with our dumbbells, kettlebells and barbells. Now is it time for them to progress onto something more? And that's when we implement the speed training. And then that's when we try to prime them. We're trying to peak them to move on to become a college athlete. Yeah, absolutely. I would say the one thing that's really cool is, you know, if you're working with our, you know, fundamental and foundational classes, and then maybe some of our high schoolers are kind of finishing up their workout, and those young athletes can kind of see, mm -hmm. you know, how well these high schoolers are moving and how strong some of them are. And they can see, oh, wow, like that's where I can be. And, you know, these are the athletes that are going on to play college golf here. Uh, you know, after this upcoming summer. So I think that's a really cool environment for them to see that. I think one of the coolest things for our junior athletes is the first thing you see when you walk in our door is the wall full of college flags. So yeah. if you're a junior athlete, if you're 10, 12 years old and you walk in and you see that wall, that, that that's a little bit of motivation almost. Oh, so that yeah. kind of <laughs> just leads you to believe like, hey, like I can put a flag up there someday. I think that's oh, one of the sure. coolest things. Yeah, for sure. Well, is there anything else we want to cover real quickly or... I think that's a pretty comprehensive look at not only, you know, how we answer those tough questions from parents, but also how we take our athletes from, you know, I'm just learning how to play golf all the way to, you know, the LPGA and PGA Tours. So that's pretty good yeah. stuff. Um, if you enjoyed the video, throw us a like, subscribe to the channel for all of our other awesome content. Um, feel free to look at any of the other videos we have about some, you know, techniques you can do to strengthen those movement patterns, test your flexibility, all that great stuff. Um, that's all we got for today, so thank you for joining me.